me cantó. El sol salió anoche y me cantó. He says the sun came out last night. He says it sang to him. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a podcast where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us hasn't ever seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 50, and joining me this week, I have from the irrationally exuberant pod, uh, Reed Messerschmidt. Reed, how you doing? Hello. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, the movie that we watched this week was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You'd never seen it before. No, I hadn't. I, I don't know how I've missed it. I, I, I'm obsessed with aliens and, and UFOs, um, and I love movies, but this is just uh, not – it never came up somehow. Uh, I mean, it's an older one. It's 1977, so mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. kind of maybe see how that could happen, but, um, you know, it's – it is interesting being a movie person and, you know, it's Spielberg, it's Aliens, like, it, it seems like it would be kind of a perfect mix. Are you much of a Spielberg fan, I guess would be the first question? Well, you know, I haven't seen Jaws either. Oh, really? Which I, is, I, that's the one that really causes gasps when I tell <laughs> people, you know? Like, um, I just haven't, I don't know, I don't know why. I'm sure I would like it. I, like, I do like Spielberg, I think he's, I think he's great. Okay, well, um, now we now we know what movie to watch to have you back on later. Yeah, right, Because exactly. that's a great one. I love Jaws. So yeah. I, I'm the same. I am a Spielberg fan. I've liked a lot of his movies. Some people will um, criticize him sometimes for being a little too schmaltzy. Uh, yeah. And he can get there. Like, sure, yeah. he can. But he has a style. And I don't like every one of his movies. I, I mean, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, nobody really likes. That was, it just felt lazy. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan of the adventures of Tintin, but man, when he like late seventies through late nineties, that 20 year stretch where he, he almost couldn't do anything wrong with the exception maybe of 1941, but, uh, right. Well, you know, he's, he's a nice combination of a blockbuster, super popular populist director and like an auteur, an old, old style auteur. Yes. Right. Like mm-hmm. he's he, he I mean, he invented the blockbuster, essentially, more or less. Yeah. Um, but he really brought that auteur style to all of those first films. I, I'm talking out of my ass because I clearly don't fully know. <laughs> I haven't seen Jaws yet. But the impression I get, um, it feels it's a movie makers. It's a filmmakers movie. Yeah. Well, look at his 1993 alone. He did Jurassic Park and Schindler's yeah. List. Yeah. In the same year. Like, yeah. One of right. the most important movies I think you can see, especially if you have any interest at all in history, is Schindler's mm-hmm. List. And then yeah. Jurassic Park is the the very definition of a blockbuster populist movie. And you did those I mean, both in perfect, the same year. Per- <laughs> yeah, right. Like, right uh, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that is range. And yeah, I think Jurassic Park is just about a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. I, I it's it's just, it's so fun. It's not overly stupid. You know, I mean it. it it does a good job of capturing the sciency vibe of the the source material. Yes. Um, without um, becoming jargony, and uh, it's fun as hell. Exactly. No, I I one hundred percent agree. 
that was one of the things I liked about this movie. And I've seen it a few yeah. times. I think the first time I saw it, oh man, I must have been about somewhere like six, seven, eight years old. You know, I was pretty yeah. young. So there's mm-hmm. parts I want to talk about a little bit later that stuck with me for a long time. But I can imagine what parts you're talking about. <laughs> but I just, <laughs> this movie is is fun because it does a little bit of the hand wavy and a little bit of like, we're not going to go super into like great detail of why we're doing what we're doing. But at the same time, it gets across the point. Like they're going to use music to communicate. They figure out the communication Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. way. And then, uh, I did think it was funny that nobody in that room could figure out that those were latitude and longitude coordinates in that. That did seem like a stretch. That was a flaw. Oh, we're going to (laughs) have the one guy who knows what those are. Yeah, let's, yeah, we're going to need to get Bob Balaban in here to tell us the obvious. God, and I forgot that that was him. So for the first lo- 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. of the movie, I'm like, I know who that is. Who is it? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love anytime Balaban shows up on screen, I'm 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 into it. He's yeah. got that 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 nervous befuddled energy and it, Oh yeah, and Dreyfus. Perfect every time. Dreyfus oh, was Jesus. amazing in this. He he apparently campaigned really hard to be in it and uh originally yeah. wasn't going to be. Um but he was perfect for this because of that same like energy that that childlike like he just yeah all this energy and he couldn't figure out what was going on and I think that that really sold it for me. He is a very actory actor. He acts a lot. He does a lot of acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like when he's on screen, he's always doing something. Yes. He's he's never still. He's got a very. Uh, you know, I don't want to uh, talk out of school here, but he's got a real uh, cocaine vibe to him. Yeah, in the early okay. years, mm-hmm. um, he had a you know he did have a cocaine problem, so it's whatever. Um, it works acting. though. It, yes, it's <laughs> it works so well. I love him. Every second that he's on screen is it's like this weird combination of supernaturalistic and very just really acting hard. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, he's really fun to watch. You know, and I talk about it a lot on the show because it's it's almost always your main actor or a couple of actors that are going to carry your movie. He does that yeah. here. He he really because it's two different stories going on at once, and yes. the stuff with the government with um, Balaban and Francois Truffaut, Truffaut and all of that, which right. I thought that was interesting. This was his first Hollywood film, and mm-hmm. the first time mm-hmm. he ever acted in something he didn't direct. Right. Um, but. You know, they had that, all that going on, and that was interesting, and they did a lot of cool visuals with that. And then you had this little tiny story with Dreyfus and his family, and you're right. He's acting all the time. And then they get Terry Garr in there, and their chemistry was great. Yeah. And the chemistry with the kids, like, it felt like a real family. The oh, way that they oh my yelled God. at each other and and all of that. I really, really dug that. That one scene, I mean, I'm really like, we just – me and my wife just had a baby, our second baby. So I'm I'm really like my nerves and my emotions are just they're just raw. Oh, so yeah. they're so raw right now. I'm just I could cry at the drop of a hat. Um but that scene at the table oh. when he's he's building the mashed potato tower and that kid looking at him with tears rolling down his face, that kid that is an incredible performance. It is. And I you know, I take notes when I'm watching the movies for the show. Yeah. And I, I wrote down notes during that scene. Like, that, that's what makes this movie last, is stuff mm. like that. Because yeah, all man. the spectacle, all the visuals, that's great, the overall story. But that type of a scene sticks with you because of that performance, because it feels like real people. 
And you can yeah. see in Dreyfus, you can see him just, he's breaking and he doesn't know what's going on. And none of the family does either. And none of them know how to do, how to deal with it. They have no context whatsoever. Right. And oh, that kid. And he, oh. it wasn't him. It was the younger kid that's actually Richard Dreyfus's nephew. Oh. I, I also thought it was kind of neat. But that kid was so good. Oh, because then the and when he calls him a crybaby, yes. Oh, geez. that was the other one that felt that, like a real that, family. That broke me. <laughs> I yeah, can't believe that, it. I, did, I, I was not really expecting to uh, get emotional during Close Encounters of the Third Kind, <laughs> but there I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I would say the only thing throughout the movie that that to me felt forced and didn't feel right was the kiss on the the side of the mountain towards the end with Dreyfus and um. Yeah, it was uh, whatever her name was. I can't remember Jenny, something like that. Yeah. That just I, I remember it, but it was one of those. I'm just like, really? That didn't. I don't know. That didn't feel like it was earned in the same way. Right. I mean, I get that it's a situational thing, and they just been through. They've just been through a lot together. So I mean, I I understand the logic, I guess, behind it. But yeah, it didn't need to be there. Like, they could. You don't always have to make things. Uh, relationshipy yeah and hollywood has a bad habit of that they definitely do you know and you don't have that in there you don't miss it at all but i no. mean outside of that everybody felt like real people and they felt it, just all the performances were were really good um i was impressed with Truffaut for uh you know obviously he speaks french for most of the film but but he was you know he was being himself which worked um mm-hmm. apparently he was the part was written for him and spielberg right. did not think he was going to say yes he did. And that part is based off of, I have to note, Jacques Vallée. Yes. Uh, the, the French ufologist uh, and a pretty brilliant dude. Um, kind of uh, invented the internet. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't really. He didn't really, but he was there. Um, he was there for the invention. Um, Jacques Vallée is a very, very interesting guy. And they had him as uh, an advisor, uh, I read. That's very interesting. There was another ufologist um, had a cameo. J. Allen Hynek. Hynek, um, yeah. And I, Blue Book. I remembered after I was reading about it, I was like, oh, that's why he looked familiar and why they, you know, they focused on him. But I hadn't seen the yeah. movie in a few years, so I'm like, what's with the shot of just, you know, old dude? I, like, I knew he had to be somebody, but I couldn't remember who it yeah. was. Right. But that was kind of a, a fun little thing. He coined the phrase, close encounter of the third kind. He did, yeah. He, so. did, uh, he did a lot for UFOs with that Blue Book. Yeah. Thing with the government and uh, that's something i want to read there. more about is project blue book i've read some about it but i want to dive into it a little more <laughs> yeah I've, I've read a lot <laughs> i i gotta say yeah i read most of i mean i read the you know the highlights of the report so still mm-hmm. like a really long thing or whatever and right. it is it's very very interesting but it's also it gets a little repetitive yeah. um, it's that kind of thing where like too much of a super interesting thing and you're like how has this become dull um <laughs> that's how but um, yeah, it's it's you know it's a report. It's right. Not, it's not meant to be literature. True. Um, but yeah, I just really well done. Now this was Spielberg's like second or third uh, feature film. Right. Um, I think it's third because it was after Jaws, and then there was another one that I've never heard of. Oh no, this was right after Jaws. So Sugarland yeah. Express was his right, first. Right. That one. Yeah. Yes. Then he did Jaws, and he did this. You know, it follows that up. 1941 wasn't great, but then it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Temple of <laughs> Doom, like hit after hit after hit. The guy just, he knows how to make movies that people want to watch. I mean, even his bad ones, Hook, 
is considered by a lot of people. I like Hook a lot. You know, I haven't seen that since I was a kid, but I loved it when I was a kid. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's Spielberg. You know, yeah. you know what you're going to get with that, which is you're going to get a lot of shots of people looking past the camera, mm-hmm. which is like mm-hmm. 60% of this movie, which is fine. I don't mind it. Um, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. But it's a good. I mean, it's a good technique. It works. Well, and in this film in particular, it serves the story because they're constantly looking out yeah. at something. So, you know, that fits. There's sometimes where you can you can see him do it in a movie and it's like, "Okay, yep." Uh there's always that shot of Indiana Jones coming up to the camera, looking past it and then turning and running the other direction, like every single <laughs> yeah, one of them. Right. Yeah, right. Um but no, I I love I love Spielberg movies, even the hard ones to watch. Like Schindler's List is not an easy movie to watch, but it's no. so good. Um, even parts of Saving Private Ryan are are not easy. Um, <laughs> Hook is Glenn no. Close's best movie. That's fair. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know if it's the best movie, but it's uh... it's definitely Phil Collins' best movie. Oh, definitely. Uh, I would argue it's the best. It's uh, it's in my top three Bob Hoskins movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, with Who Framed Roger Rabbit and uh, Danny the Dog. Right. I yeah. I'm I'm sure if I tried to parse out best of Phil Collins and Bob Hoskins, I would mix and match because I can't really tell them apart. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Um. But man, okay, so I do want to talk some about the effects and the visuals of this because it's a very visual mm-hmm. heavy movie. And this is obviously pre-CGI. Um there was rumor apparently Spielberg did try to mess with some computer generated stuff for the ships and none of it worked. Um because it was just so early on, but the the ships themselves for the most part are interesting. I love the big mothership, the giant floating city thing oh, yeah. at the end is just it's amazing. phenomenal. Yeah. But a lot of the effects they did in this that were really cool are those old school style effects, like the clouds, was a, yeah. a water tank with salt water and then layered fresh water on top of that, and they would inject paint into it. Oh wow! And so the paint would billow and stuff, and then it would hit that denser salt water and it would flatten out, and you get this really cool cloud effect. So they'd shoot that and then composite it in. And wow, um, like, I didn't know that. I love I love old school um, special effects like that. The the stuff in the truck at the beginning where yeah. it's getting all weightless and, like, Dreyfus is just floating that little bit. Like, you can see his shirt collar come up and all that. That was they put the truck on a big turntable so they could spin mm. it and get yeah. that effect. Like, I, that stuff like that. And, and you remember it. You know, that yeah. that whole scene with the his first encounter is just really memorable. It starts, for me, right at the shot um, where it's all black. And all you see are the headlights of the truck, and it yeah. in the distance as it pulls up, and then it gets closer, and then the truck slowly kind of comes into view, and then he stops. And from there on, I'm just like hooked for that whole scene, and it's yeah, it's a nice tension building scene. Um, and then you start throwing in all these cool special effects of like all the stuff floating around and 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 all of that, and it's real simple things. I mean, just putting something on a gimbal and shaking it, but it's memorable. Um, I'd mentioned early on that there were parts of this movie that really stuck with me. The stuff that happens with the kid in the house, the two mm-hmm. two scenes, the one in the beginning with all his toys coming to life, yep. and then when the aliens show up and they take him, I 
I don't remember many of my dreams throughout my life, but I had several <laughs> dreams with that scenario happening in it that uh, I know were spawned from watching this movie. But, I can imagine. You know, so that, I, I, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I think my my version of that is I was I was obsessed with Flight of the Navigator mm. as, a, as a child. Another good um, one. And the scene where he comes home and his parents don't live there anymore, that... Oh, that messed man. that messed me up. <laughs> that that's the one that I had dreams about, and I they're they're kind of similar. Yeah, like I can remember vividly the dreams I had, where basically that scene from this movie is playing out, except that then mm-hmm. when the door opens, there's there's more going on outside, like not just lights. Yeah, but, right. And that was another one of those that they used old you know old school techniques, but they also didn't rehearse ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So it was very much realistic um, reactions from uh, the actress because she didn't know exactly what was going to happen. All the stuff shaking right. in the house, tr- basically trying to fall apart. Um, but that's another one of those just tense scenes because it's building and building and building. And then you have that slowdown moment and all the screws start to unscrew themselves from the that floor grate. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it builds. Oh, I love stuff like that. Yeah, it becomes a horror movie for about 10 minutes. It really does. It really does. And it, it's effective. It's very effective. Mm-hmm. And it sets up because you do, you just don't know what's going to happen. You want to find out. And then the entirety of the movie is not a horror movie at all, so you get that little bit of subversion to what you're expecting, yeah. um, and you get that mm-hmm. kind of release, and that's great. That that makes that makes a movie rewatchable, in my right. opinion. And. This one's definitely, I mean, for me, it's re- rewatchable, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I what I like what they did. So between that scene and some of the other scenes kind of contradict whether these aliens are malevolent or benevolent. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it becomes kind of a gray area. I Not to... I guess that's a pun, isn't it? <laughs> like a gray. Yeah, we'll um, let that one go. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Um, where you you don't know the intention of, of the aliens, mm-hmm. you don't know what they're here for. They never explain or even attempt to explain what they're there for, and I love that about it. Yeah, exactly. I, they're not there to blow up the White House. Nope. They're not. You know, they're there for some unknown and unknowable reason. Yeah, and which it makes it so much better. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. We would have no clue why they're here, and and with yeah. no form of communication, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that scene where they're at, at the end. He's playing all the notes and everything, and he's like, "What are we saying to each other?" And I love that because it's like he's right. responding yeah. with noises and words, like what are probably <laughs> yeah. words, but he has no context for language. So exactly, yeah. I love stuff like that, and yeah, the ambiguity of the aliens because you never know. Are they? You know, they, they took, obviously, it's been going on for a while because you had World War II pilots. Right. Pilots that disappeared, you know, 30 years prior to this. The ship, uh, that big, uh, whatever, that oil freighter or whatever it was that showed up in the mm-hmm. desert. All that stuff. Um, oh, hey, side note, by the way. Uh, five days ago, they found that boat in really? the ocean. Yeah. No shit. Or like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I had no uh, yeah. idea. <laughs> I, I saw an article popped up on my on, on Twitter for me saying that on the 18th, uh, they announced that they found that boat. Wow. Off, like off the coast of Florida. Somewhere. Yeah, because it went down in like the Bermuda Triangle or something. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah, crazy. 
And that was another old technique. So they just used a super detailed model in forced perspective uh, for that mm-hmm. shot of it in the desert. And it looks like, I mean, that stuff works because it looks like there was just a big ship sitting in the desert. It doesn't right. look fake. Yeah. That's crazy that they found that. It's really crazy. I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, just for it to happen now. Yeah, um, that's that's some timing right there. That is really good timing. <laughs> I, I, Yeah, it seems like nothing mysterious or untoward happened it just sank and for some reason nobody could find it um Hmm. but uh yeah they found it i i I like that uh them finding the ship and the planes don't again going back to they he never tries to explain what's going on or what they're doing right um those things are just they're weird inexplicable things that happened and they're clearly connected but it, it there's no explanation as to how or why yeah, and you know what? We don't need it. We don't need that to yeah. know to to make this any better. Uh, it doesn't right. add anything at all. So yeah, I, I like that. So I've been so I mentioned Jacques Vallée earlier. Mm-hmm. I've been actually reading some of his books lately, um, and he supposedly had tried to convince Spielberg to go with a less, even less clear understanding of what the the aliens were because his his theory is that. Um, I mean, it's sort of uh, borders on the ancient aliens theory, mm-hmm. um, but that these these they're not necessarily from space. That there's just something going on that we don't fully understand, called the you know the phenomenon or whatever, and um, that all of the inexplicable stuff, angels, ghosts, everything reported throughout history is sort of interconnected. Okay, and um, Spielberg obviously was like, well that's not what people want to see and how how are you going to explain that in a movie um, right he made the right choice he did but he i feel like he did get a little of it in there that it's just there yeah that we don't know what they're here for yeah and and that makes you just it it draws you in a little bit more um because mm-hmm. i like a movie that doesn't just spoon feed me everything like there's you know when i was getting ready to do and i, I was going to do film school when i was younger the the whole thing was you know, you have to tell your audience everything. If you mm-hmm. have a, if you have a uh, an AC vent, you have to put like streamers on it that move to let them know there's air <laughs> yeah, coming right. out of the AC vent. Right, right. right. But <laughs> that thing that's never happened in real life. Yeah, never. Uh, <laughs> but I I love a movie that challenges you a little bit and and draws mm-hmm. you in and makes you think. So don't you don't have to explain everything to me. I think that's why like Blade Runner is a movie that I really enjoy because it doesn't. It eventually doesn't tell you everything after they got rid of the voiceover um <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah um so at the end of this movie ori- not originally but they did a, a re-release where they added dreyfus like inside the ship mm-hmm. which i i don't know have you seen that version i have you seen the ver- different version? i think i've seen it once i know that i read that um it was something spielberg felt like he wanted to do the studio ended up giving him the money to shoot it. He did it, and then he was like, eh, it wasn't that great. Yeah. And so they took it it's back a, out. It's a bad idea. It really was. Because um, <laughs> yeah. you don't need that. I mean, you've no. already got enough going on. Like, dude just left his entire family and the planet, like, pretty right. much on a whim. So that's yeah, enough. Because like, that was one of my notes. I'm like, so we're just not going to talk about the fact that Roy just sort of said, screw everybody and left? Like, yeah. Well, you know, Roy's a bit of a dick. Kind of, yeah. I, which is fine. I mean, he's he's a dick in a realistic way. 
where he's just kind of he's a bit childish and self-centered that i think is a perfect way to put it he it's it's the childish part of him like he didn't know he couldn't figure out what was going on and he just wants to know what's happening right and the only way he's going to find that out is to get on that ship so he's already gone that far he might as well take the next step yeah but right yeah he's kind (laughs) of it is not a great dad really if you think about no, it. No, 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 no. I mean, they established that right away with him trying to help his kid with the fractions. He doesn't do a great job of that. No. No, but I did like his uh, his reasoning for it. I, that's why I graduated. I actually captured that audio because it cracked me up. He's just like, that's why I graduated, so I don't have to do problems. <laughs> that's like the first words out of his mouth in the movie. I know. I know. I Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to use that on my kids. I, no. Hope, hopefully I won't. I wouldn't doesn't work very well (laughs) well and then later on after so after that so the scene where he kind of breaks down and he's sitting in the shower fully clothed with just Mm -hmm. a shower running on him crying and his wife comes in and all of that happens and he eventually uh goes and falls asleep by his um his clay sculpture and wakes up the next morning to his daughter watching cartoons and what's the first thing she says to him are you gonna yell at me I was like, oh, that yeah. hurts. Like, that's heartbreaking. Right. But that's yeah. that real family thing we were talking about earlier. Where right. it felt like the type of argument that a real family would have. I thought it was, I liked the fact that it was sort of a a bit of a role reversal with he's the one that's just like, just hold me. I just need you. And she's freaking out on him and just like angry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, for 1977, that wasn't a thing Hollywood did a lot of back then. Um, so right. I did like that. The kids were great. And then, of course, you get the next scene where he just snaps and he realizes what he's got to build. And so then you get that whole that whole scene where he starts he starts with tearing up all the plants and throwing them in the house and the dirt and everything like that is just yeah. so well done and uncomfortable at times to watch. It, it really is because he's so happy. I, I there's at first you're like ha, 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 ha. oh man what a goof and that and and the further it goes you're like oh, he's yeah he's yeah, totally snapped and he's happy about all of it and he can't figure out why she why she doesn't want him around or why she's taking the kids like it's that genuine I have no idea why you're acting like this meanwhile right. I'm shoveling dirt and bricks into the the window and I love yeah. I love how he ends it by crawling through the window. Yeah. And then, like, mm-hmm. reaching out, grabbing, like, that's so such a Warner Brothers cartoon <laughs> moment where he comes back out, grabs the ladder. Yeah, it is. Um, it really is. So, and that was a stretch of the movie. So the music in this movie is obviously a big thing because mm-hmm. music is the, the way that they communicate. But that stretch of the movie there, there is no music. There's a yeah. big, long stretch where there's nothing but the background noise of like TV shows and cartoons and news broadcasts and people murmuring. There's a lot of uh, that cacophony type sound going on throughout the whole Mm -hmm. movie, but that big stretch where there's no score either. And for whatever reason, this time around, I noticed that more than I have in the past. I think maybe it's the, I'm watching it more analytically. I don't know, but I like that because the music is so important to this movie, but this big stretch of it with none really just makes you pay more attention to what's happening and what's being said. And right. it's already hard enough to kind of pick out dialogue sometimes because they have 
this and and this felt like something that happened a lot in in the movie in movies in the 70s where they would it was just a mm-hmm. cacophony of sound and all this layering you have people talking over each other and um right. it's the Altman did, influence yeah yep and they did yep. a lot of that i mean all the stuff with the air traffic controllers at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. um with him on the phone where you're only hearing half the conversation with his wife meanwhile there's a news broadcast that broadcast is up loud enough that you can hear everything that's going on there, so you really have to pay attention to try and figure out what's happening. Um, all of those, all of that background television, I thought was really interesting. All of it seem is very carefully chosen. Mm-hmm. It seemed very much so. There's, uh, there's uh, the uh, uh, Looney Tunes with the what's, what's Marvin the Martian? Yep. That, yep. Yep. Um, and I think the Sturchers was on at some point. It was. In one scene, yes, which is uh, an interesting, um, an interesting parallel. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, he, he's he's uh, uh, movies in the seventies were so much looser than they are now. Yeah, not it, like I mean, obviously, all of his choices are very intentional, and it's not actually loose. Like he's not, he's not like letting anybody improvise but um the scenes they choose to to leave in and the the amount of time they let them run for is just it's so much more naturalistic than the you'd be or than most movies do yeah and i think that was a lot of um there was a lot of that with uh well it was it was spielberg coppola um, some mm-hmm. of those where that was their style and they would let right. a scene sit and marinate a little longer than, right. than you would today. And part of that makes these movies more interesting to watch and, and even dissect later on as you pick stuff yeah. out that you normally wouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's the opposite of the, what's the, there was one of the taken movies where they had like seven cuts for 10 seconds of film or something <laughs> oh of him God. jumping over a fence. Yeah. Right. Um, and I like stuff like that. That's why I'm a big Kubrick fan as well, because he would let a, so- mm-hmm. a shot just sit forever. Yeah. Like you, you deal with it. You figured this out exactly. He basically says, "Like hey, I'm just going to put the camera here, and you, you figure it out." Yeah. There's a lot going on here. And you know, it's it's the directors and the directors of photography that they had. Who, um, yeah. By the way, the mm-hmm. director of photography for this movie has the greatest name um, ever. It was Vilmos Zygmunt. But that's, that's spelled good. with a Z and an S. Nice. Z S I G M O N D. Like, it's, it's great. And he apparently was almost fired several times. Um, they wanted to bring in other cinematographers, and there was a whole bunch of stuff going on with a bunch of that. And eventually, like, the other guys would come in, and they were friends of his, and they're like, look, if he can't do this, none of us can. And right. he, he stayed on. But there was things like the... He purposely shot um, the aliens at the end with that real soft focus mm-hmm. because if it was too sharp, you could see that they were just rubber suits. Oh, so, right. But then when the when the producer saw that initially, she hated it and thought that he screwed up and made him reprocess the film, like all sorts of stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he did a fin- phenomenal job, and they, they mixed it so well with those visual effects that they were doing, um, which – was also interesting because they shot the film on 35 uh 35 millimeter but the effects were done on 70 millimeter film Mm -hmm. so any shots that were going to have effects they would also shoot on 70 millimeter film 
That way they could match it up and get the right grain that would then match the rest of the film, which apparently wasn't done a lot back then. Yeah. Um, and then that way when they blew it back up for 70 millimeter prints, everything would look the same and it works because you don't notice the effect shots. Like almost all of the night skies are effect shots. Really? Yeah, even the stuff that doesn't have anything moving in the background of it, most of those stars are effects added in later. But it's stuff you just don't see it because of that process. And that that's the kind of old-school filmmaking that is things that kind of get taken for granted now and can be done so much differently. But you had to think about that back then. Those dudes are wizards. And, I, you know, I'm not sure I could pass necessarily the Pepsi challenge of, like, is this CGI or is this an old-school effect? Um, you know, just if I was tested on it, mm-hmm. um, but I do when I'm watching it, I'm like, I feel it. I feel, I feel the organic nature of what's happening here. It doesn't feel false. Right. And that's how and it, that's, that's effects it, that work. Right. And even the aliens at first, I'm like, man, those are some goofy looking aliens. Um, they look a little corny. But what they look like is organic, and they look like real things. Yes, they're not—they're not realer than real, which they are in movies now. They're like you can imagine touching one of those things. You know, yeah, uh, it's just mm-hmm. no, totally very, very tangible. Well, you know, I've—I've I've always been a fan of special effects and um, that kind of stuff. You know, I love the story of like I think it was Poltergeist, where the at the end of the movie when the house is collapsing. What they did was they they tied everything to cables and ran it down into this pipe, and then they had that all those cables tied to the back of a tractor. So they would drive <laughs> they would drive the tractor and pull everything down. And as as structures and parts of the house got to the bottom, they would be sitting there with birdshot shooting shotguns to break it up so it would fall through the funnel. Oh like, my gosh! I love stuff like that, but I also get visual effects in the in the stuff that can be done today. We're now finally hitting the point in the last few years where they can seamlessly blend stuff and the directors yeah. and the producers and everybody are utilizing and saying, we don't want just a green screen background and put everything in and post. We need to mix it together um, yeah. and, and give, you know, give actors something to work with and also just make it feel more real. That was like the, the newer this recent Star Wars trilogy, whether you like the movies or not, the visuals of them work almost all the time because you can tell they had sets built and then they would add stuff in. That's what um, really works for, I think it was, there was a couple of the Godzilla movies and those are obviously completely unrealistic, but they look so good because of the way they use CG to extend and add on to rather than relying solely on it to do something. Right. So it's that uh, nice the fl- mixture. The flip side of that is that you get horror, like horror footage. Um, have you seen? I think it just came out today, but there's footage of Harrison Ford, uh, Call of the Wild, acting oh. with that guy that played the dog. Yes. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's some crazy stuff to watch. But that upsetting. It's upsetting, is what it is. I. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I get it. Like, that. you're obviously going to have a much easier time with a person in a motion capture suit than trying to train a dog to do all yeah, that. Right. Um, although it worked for White Fang, so I mean, sure. that movie's thirty years old. You know, me and my son just watched uh, Swiss Family Robinson because we just read the book. Okay. 
um, from like 1964. It's like a Disney live mm-hmm. action Disney movie from 64, and um, they clearly used all real animals for everything, oh, yeah. which is horrific because there's no way those animals were treated well, um, especially not then. But no, I I mean, but as long as you don't think about that part, um, it's, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's just it's a, clearly a real. There's a real tiger there, and mm-hmm. everybody, you know, it's it's it's, it's more fun to watch. <laughs> it is. Like I saw the trailer for Call of the Wild, and I knew right away. All right, that's a CG dog. Like, there's no way yeah. that's a real dog. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you see the footage of the guy in the motion capture suits, like, oh, that's <laughs> well. I guess I'm not sleeping tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, obviously, a very talented fellow. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what a job! What a world! Well, I mean, it's what gave gave Andy Serkis a career with yeah. motion capture. Now, right. I can't really complain because I love his work. But mm-hmm. but getting back to this, like, in, <laughs> yeah. clo- in Close Encounters, and look, it's going to happen. I go, my, my ADD brain goes everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But Close Encounters, what I liked, too, was the, the amount of time they spent um, – not revealing all of the ships and it was it was a lot of just light and really soft diffused light to Mm -hmm. to just give you this concept of it being there without it really being there and then on top of that the way the sound would work with it because there would be just this very low hum as the Mm -hmm. the ship would fly by um oh uh the the police car that goes off the edge um when Mm -hmm. that one chase which yeah. I loved because that just was ridiculous. That apparently right. wasn't the actual stunt that was supposed to happen. He was supposed to <laughs> skid into and like skid into the the guardrail or something, and he was just going too fast, and so he just flew off the edge like that and ended up getting hurt. Um, mm, I would imagine, yeah. Even though he was, you know, he had a helmet and everything on, but he still like right. just flew through the air. But um, no, I just I love I love the look of this movie. It it feels yeah. it feels like late seventies. Um, but it also in some, it, like if you took the technology out, if you took out the fact that nobody has cell phones and there's no GPS, like he's driving around with maps trying to get around, mm-hmm. it doesn't like uh, everything with the aliens, everything with, um, the, just all of that, like it feels almost timeless. And then mm-hmm. you throw in, you know, the computer banks in the background and the fact that they had to go find a globe and roll it into the one room, um, yeah, right. To, to realize right. that, oh, no, this is the 70s, and this would be a very different movie if it was made today. Yeah, that I mean, that's the thing, though, man. I, I feel like, I mean, maybe it's just my age. I don't know. But a globe is always going to feel timeless. Oh, definitely. And, uh, but a cell phone and GPS, there's no way that's going to age well. No, it like, really won't. I, it's really hard, I think, to create something in this day and age that involves technology that's not going to look stupid in, like, two years. Yeah, that's 100% true. I mean, look at any movie that centers around technology. Yeah. Anything. Well, yeah, and cell phones have just ruined plots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) because you can... So much you can't do. Right, because it's like, well, no, we have cell phones. We can fix that. And and this movie doesn't have that. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, No, it's just... It's one of those movies that I feel like if you are into anything related to sci-fi this is a great movie to watch because it's really yeah. good science fiction. It's not mm-hmm. a space opera. It's not an action film. There's no big slugfest at the end. It's science fiction. It felt like 
some of the old sci-fi novels that I read in college. Um, yeah. Where it is, it's that ambiguous. It doesn't really, it doesn't spoon feed you anything. You're left with questions at the end. You know, how mm-hmm. long have these aliens been around here? Where are they going? Where are they from? We don't know any of that, and we don't need to, but you want to know. You want to learn more about it. Yeah, it's got, there's a real, I mean, there's a real Arthur C. Clarke kind of uh, influence, I think, Yeah. on it, but, you know, less wonky, like less less um, into the, the details, and it works great. Um, so the score. So the music, that mm-hmm. five-note thing, um, I guess from what I was reading, John, John Williams did the music for this movie. He works mm-hmm. with Spielberg a lot. Love John Williams. Um, and this was John Williams in his heyday. This was, you know, he he was another one. You figure he did the music for Star Wars, this movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all within like a three-year period. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. That's insane. Yeah. But they had, they had tried... From what I read, and take it with a grain of salt, but like hundreds of different combinations of five notes, and this was just happened to be the one that they liked, and they right. went with it, and it works. And it's slowly woven throughout the movie. There's like little pieces, you know, the kid playing it on his little, his little xylophone and, and all of that, and they slowly build to, and then the end of it, the end of the movie has hardly any dialogue, and it's almost all music for like the last 20 minutes of the movie, yeah. which for me is super powerful. And, you know, I was talking about that kind of that Altman like cacophony of sound throughout the whole movie. And then there's one shot at the end walking up is Richard Dreyfus and he's in his flight suit mm-hmm. and you can see him speaking. But now you hear nothing but the music. So they've completely flipped it by that point in the, at the end of the movie. And all you're getting is music and no diegetic sound whatsoever. Right. And that to me is just great filmmaking in the end because... You know, it, it's something that you're going to remember. And the music for this, even if you hadn't seen the movie, I'm, you, you probably heard that that little melody because it, mm-hmm. it was such a big part of kind of just pop culture in general for the last 40 years. But Yeah. I, I, have, I have one quibble with the music and, and the film in general. This is my biggest complaint. Okay. And it is really – it's very minor. Um, that the spaceship plays the Jaws music for a second. <laughs> So there's a little bit of the Jaws music in there. You're not wrong. I, just, I hated it. I hated it. I was like, oh, come on, guys. There's also... This is not the play, time of the place. Yeah, there's also a very small bit of When You Wish Upon a Star. Oh, right, yeah. And that was partially because originally that's what ended the movie in the test yeah. screenings was When sure, You Wish yeah, Upon a Star, that. and it did not go well. But I remember <laughs> I was listening to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. You just hear that little bit. You think it's going into it, and then it goes in another direction but yeah i can see where that's a little off-putting with the jaws music but you know it was john williams and stephen spielberg of course they're going to do that right there's an r2d2 in the movie on one of the ships is is there yeah on one of the one of the ships there's like an upside down r2d2 in the model oh okay it's kind of one you have to freeze frame to find but well that that is fine (laughs) i guess but the the jaws music just seemed too cute It, it was just too cute that's spielberg though yeah. Like, that's totally him, that too cute. That's sort of too what I was cute. talking about at the beginning. Yeah. He he does right. that. There's, like, there's those moments in a Spielberg film that are just Spielbergian. There's um, The Lost World has one of my favorites, which is um, when they get to San Diego, and uh, 
Well, there's the one in Jurassic Park where it's when dinosaurs ruled the Earth banner floating down in front of the T-Rex. Is very oh, yeah. Spielberg moment. Yeah. But it's uh, it's when the T-Rex gets to San Diego in the Lost World, and it's like, uh, it's not the objects in the mirror. That was the first movie, but there's some sign, and he like busts through the sign, and it's just, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a Spielberg mm. moment. He does a yeah. lot of those cheesy, uh, right. cutesy moments. And I'm mostly fine with them. I, I mean, I think self-referentialism is it's great. I do it all the time mm-hmm. in my show. Um, but uh, at the – it was just the wrong time, man. It's like – that's like the most dramatic – it's the contact, you know? Yeah, it's the it's the climax <laughs> of the movie. I get what you're saying. I it's totally get what you're saying. absolute climax. It's this, like, amazing moment in the history of humanity imagined. And then uh, – like, fuck. He couldn't resist. Maybe the aliens were just big Jaws fans. I don't know. Maybe. I know. And then it made, I mean, it distracts me because then I start thinking, like, do they have, have they seen, have these people seen Jaws? Does Jaws exist in this universe? Does Jaws exist in in this, yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we know Warner Brothers and Looney Tunes exist, right? Mm -hmm. Daffy Duck is a thing, so who knows? Yeah. But overall, like. (laughs) John, the John Williams score, and I was playing a little bit at the beginning of the stream, but right. it's a no, great it's score. Yeah, it's amazing. And these five notes, I mean, anytime there's contact with aliens in a parody of anything in the, in, a, in a movie, they usually reference this. And these are the five notes just so people can hear them because it's great. It's just a cool little melody. And I love the the mothership reaction shot where it blows all the the glass out because it's just yeah. like super loud. Mm-hmm. I did think it was really cool how they used a tuba for the mothership. Yeah. It's like that was the the callback or the reaction sound was this deep deep tuba sound, which is such a. It's not an instrument that gets used a lot um, on its own. It's always right. in an orchestra. You don't get like a tuba solo. Like you do a trumpet. Well, it, it, it added a bit of menace mm-hmm. um, to the 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 goings on. Like, is this, you know? I mean, everybody there had to has to be thinking. Not even in the back of their mind, in the front of their mind, is this ship going to blow us all up right now? Right. Absolutely. It adds to the ambiguity. Right. Um, yeah. There's a you know, it's a fifty fifty shot. Are they here to blow us up or are they here to talk? Um, so, yeah, or both. That, Why not both? Or both. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows. Who knows? Maybe they blast us into a parallel dimension, and then we talk there. Who knows? Hey, that could work. Yeah, um, yeah no, it's. I'm I'm glad that you finally got to see this. Um, this is a hell of a movie, and it is a hell of a movie. <laughs> I'm. It, it's. I, I'm also really yeah. glad that it never got a sequel. They never did anything more with it. Let it be. I know, this. right? Holy! I can't believe they haven't. I can't believe they haven't. It would have been like it'd been so obvious and easy to conceptualize right and this was a movie that had a 20 million dollar budget and made over 135 million in the u.s alone and 300 million worldwide in 1977 going up against star wars so it was popular god i hope we don't get like a cgi dreyfus in a in a the next five years no no Well, you know, I was having this conversation, so a couple of weeks ago, we were watching The Terminator, 
And yeah. my my thing at that point from watching just the first Terminator was why not just let it be that and never make another sequel? And I love mm-hmm. T two, but I would have been happy if there was yeah. just that one movie. This right. needs that. Like just leave it alone. Let it be Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You never have to do anything else. You sort of get the same feeling a little bit or in the same kind of realm with something like E.T. Um, I kept watching the movie thinking, oh, yeah, all these ships come back a few years later and batteries not included, but they're really small. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I'm just I'm, uh, I'm really glad that it never got anything more than that. Just let it be what it is, which is a great self-contained story. And yeah, do I want to know more? Sure, I have questions. Like I would love to explore more of it, but at the same time, I don't need another movie. Maybe if you do some tie-in no. books or something. Or, or well, I mean, yeah, I, they couldn't even resist it with 2001. You know, I mean, obviously they're oh. just basing it off of the Clark books, but mm-hmm. um, man, those movies are bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> those two, like 2010 is bad. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I it's it's a, a admirable restraint on their part. For sure. Oh, one other thing about the music I forgot is yep. um, Williams actually finished the score before the film was edited, which is mm. kind of backwards to what normally happens, which is normally you get final stuff and you, you build a score based on that. And Spielberg actually edited to the music rather than the other way around. Um, and it's really cool how much secrecy they, like how they kept this movie under wraps at the time. Because this was before I was born, a couple years before I was born, but... Mm-hmm. Same. In reading about it, there wasn't a lot known about this movie prior to it getting released because they they kept everything under wraps. He didn't even do the editing at a normal studio editing bay. He did it in like a hotel room somewhere. Yeah. And uh, the, there's a story that he couldn't even get on set one day because he forgot his ID, <laughs> and they wouldn't let Spielberg on set. But right. um, they they managed to, and I mean it's almost impossible to do nowadays but they managed to keep it so under wraps that nobody knew what the movie was about until it came out. Mm-hmm. And I think that helped because its opening weekend was like a million and a half dollars and then it did 135 million. So it got that real good word of mouth and just spread like right. wildfire. Yeah. Well, for, yeah, for good reason. I would love to see this in the theater. Oh, I know. They um this one gets played every so often. Our we have a local art house theater that does like right. Friday night flicks and they do Mm-hmm. classics and all that and they play this every so often and I haven't been able to make it down for one of those yet but I want to go see this on the big screen yeah. just if for nothing else than just the shot of the mothership coming overhead that oh, whole man. like 10 yeah, minutes of it coming over the mountain is would be worth it on a big big screen plus that so- yeah. the sound in a the theater with that low rumble the whole time well that opening shot Right where it it just kind of flashes on. It's like when oh the yeah, desert. it just flashes on, and then you just get <laughs> like yep. I mean that that I I think that would be yeah a such a great opening. It's just this low yeah. slow build, and all of a sudden boom, it hits you. Right, um, and yeah, that's a great scene too because it's confusing. You don't know what's happening. You're like all uh, you're just kind of off balance the whole time trying yes. to catch up. Mm-hmm. And, and I love. I also love that there's no subtitles. Um, yeah, I think a lot of filmmakers put subtitles in there when you're the character, the main character, the surrogate for you on screen doesn't understand what anybody's saying. So why should you? Yeah, no, I I prefer that. Like, 
I like I like when a movie will let me use context to figure out what's going on. That's what I love <laughs> yeah. about like Chewbacca uh-huh. is the the gold standard of that, right? Like right, yeah. You never you know exactly what he's talking about, and yep. you never hear a single word I, it, that's relatable at all. And mm-hmm. I love that. Subtitles mm-hmm. have their place. Oh, for sure. But you know, yeah. you had the whole time with Balaban there to translate the French. So that, uh, yeah, kind of a brilliant move. Also, didn't necessarily need to be there, but. Um, I'm glad it was. Uh, you know, they could just as easily have made Francois, you know, cast that differently and had it somebody that could speak English and then right. just eliminate that whole thing. But it just feels more naturalistic. Yeah, and like I love the scene where in the opening where they've got the guy speaking Spanish, they're translating it to English so mm-hmm. the guy can translate it to French. So they're yeah. doing all of that. Um, I did find this interesting. Balaban hadn't spoken French since he was in high school prior to this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And when Spielberg talked to him on the phone, he asked him if he could speak French, and he answered in really bad French that he doesn't speak much, hoping that maybe somebody else was in the office and heard that and would be like, okay, no, we don't need And uh, right. it didn't work. So he he ended up yeah. having to like study really hard and just have conversations <laughs> with Francois to get better at it. So Yeah. But that's Bob Balaban. You know, he's awesome. He is awesome. He's always good, always a welcome presence. And what a beard he had in this movie, too. Really like did. that yeah, 70s that beard too that that real like high on the cheeks 70s beard yeah it it's a good beard it's a good beard <laughs> like no 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 trimming nope just, none at all <laughs> no. just let it go man um i think another actor in this movie that i really always like when i see her is, is melinda dillon the one that played uh jillian yes the, the mom of the girl i i love her as an actress um, she just half of her. Um, I mean, her method just seems to be touching her face. That's how yeah. she acts. She just touches her face a lot. Um, I never works. thought about that, but you're right. It, it makes it just makes you so nervous <laughs> every time she's on screen. Like you're like it's it's nerve wracking. But she's I mean she's great in um, Christmas Story. Is that what she's in? Um, yeah. yeah, Christmas right? Story. She's in and, um, and and Harry and the Hendersons. Yes, that was the other one. And she's good in Magnolia, too. Uh, I like her. I like her a lot whenever she's around. Oh, yeah. Did you catch the uh, very, very young Lance Henriksen? No. Yeah, he was um, one of the... um, uh, His character's name is like Robert or something, but he was... He showed up in one shot early in the movie, and then he's at the Devil's Tower set. And I think he has like one line in the entire movie. But... It's so weird to see him in like 1977 because he's not, he's not Lance Henriksen yet. He's not all grizzled and like looks like he's you know made out of leather. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But I thought that was interesting. I'm like, holy Lance Henriksen. Okay. Um, yeah. And Terry Gar was was fine. I liked her. Um, I I did like her. I I mean, she maybe underused. I don't know, but I mean, she was the right amount of used for that character. But uh, Terry Gar just was such a big star. Well, the uh, Roy's whole family was kind of the to to steal a phrase from um, film sack the chick in the bucket, right? The thing that like yeah. you just forget about. Like they they right. exit the film with her piling all the kids in the station wagon and driving away, and then they're really not talked about again, save for the one conversation he has with her on the phone. Yeah, but you only hear half of it. She hangs up on him, and that's it. They're never mentioned again. Right. Um, so yeah, but I mean, they are they are present in that. I think Eddie audience member is thinking partially um 
what about his family when he goes on the ship and it is oh definitely sort, uh, it just complicates things in a, in a nice way yeah i that was the first thing i thought of is like well wait so he's going on the ship but what about yeah. his family like right he's just going to leave them um yeah. so yeah that was she might have been she didn't have a lot of screen time but she was good in the no, time that she was on she, the screen i mean she's always yeah, always great in everything that was one where I guess Spielberg saw her in a coffee commercial and thought, wow, oh, really? she, she showed a lot of emotion in a 30-second commercial. <laughs> I want her in my movie. Yeah, Whether sure. that's true or not, hey, I, I could believe it. I I kind of love that um, the original choice for Roy was, who was it? What am I? I'm blanking on it now. Oh, uh, well. Um, Steve McQueen. It was yes. Steve McQueen, which is weird. It's a weird choice. It is weird. And, and he backed out. He said no because he wasn't able to cry on command. Oh, hey, know your limits. Um, right. And y- I, you're goddamn right, Steve, Steve McQueen can't cry on command. <laughs> Man doesn't have tear ducts. No. <laughs> uh, they also, I guess they offered it to, uh, what was it, Nicholson and Pacino, Pacino and somebody else yeah. at the time. Um, well, Gene Hackman. Oh, that's who it was, Hackman. And Hackman was going through, like, a bad part of his marriage or something, so he didn't yeah, want to Hackman, be... Yeah, Hackman would have been okay. Um, I think so, especially Pacino, 70s Hackman. Pacino would have been awful. No, no, because this would have been, what, around, like, Dog Day Afternoon, right? Yeah, where he was really acting. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I said that <laughs> Richard Dreyfus was an acting actor. Uh, Pacino is a thousand times that. Well, Dreyfus is acting and doing something all the time, and Pacino is just like, scenery, I will chew all of it. Yes, to look at nothing but me. <laughs> Um, Hackman, I could God bless seen. him, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> I, Dog Day Afternoon might be my favorite movie. I it's, I, I watch it a lot. <laughs> um, it's a, such a weird performance. I did. It was, there was something with, um, oh, I know what it was. So one of the reasons that they weren't going to go with Dreyfus was he wanted like $500,000 to do the movie and points. And so they, yeah. they started offering it to other people. They went to James Kahn. And Khan wanted a million dollars and 10% of the gross profits. And so they were like, Holy smokes. Hey, Rich. It <laughs> <laughs> turns you out. St- you still want to do thing this? That you said. Yeah. Don't talk to James Khan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Will you do that for that thing that you said? <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, <laughs> um, yeah. man, 10% of the gross, he would have made, Khan would have made bank on this. Of the right. gross. Like, even if yeah. he just got the U.S. gross, he would have made himself like thirteen million dollars in the seventies. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, they made the yeah. Richard Dreyfuss is absolutely the right decision. Oh, this. totally. No, I loved him in this movie, like hands down. And the scene, he really does the bulk of his like actors acting in that interrogation scene where where they come into the room and he's got like the yeah. microphone right by his mouth. But then you know he gets to do his monologue and yell and and build up to all that, which was great. But there's so many of those moments earlier in the movie where you just see him like slowly unraveling, which I really mm-hmm. liked. From the moment that thing happens in the truck until he basically scares the wife off and the kids, he's just yeah. it's this slow burn unravel of of everything for him. Um, right yeah. up to the point where he just goes completely manic and he's like, "Hey, everything's fine. I'm gonna just steal all this stuff." And I thought he was gonna. Yeah. I kept waiting for him to hit the kid's hands in the wheelbarrow when he oh, was shoveling right. the dirt. Like, yeah. All that. But, yeah, he, Dreyfus was phenomenal in this. And I can't, I now can't, I mean, I can't see anybody else doing it, but. No. Um, 
you know, that happens when you get an iconic movie. It, it right. really does, and it's hard to picture somebody else. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's next to impossible in, in with most really big, memorable movies. But um, I, yeah, we can agree that El Pacino would have been the wrong choice. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, would not have liked yeah. Pacino, and I like oh. Al Pacino, but no, not in oh, this. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, I. The other part that really stood out to me, one of my favorite scenes, is pretty minor and right immediately at the end um, when they kind of turn the camera um, to be from the, the the point of view of the aliens, or at least that was my mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. reading of it, where it just kind of slowly pans, very, very slowly pans over the humans watching the ship. Yes. And kind of slow enough to make you realize how alien it's just everybody seems. Yeah. I mean, that's an obvious point, um, but beautifully made. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, one last bit of uh, interesting thing for me, because it's where my brain goes. That kid, Carrie Guffey is his name. He played Barry. Uh, yeah, that kid's Barry. almost 50 years old now. Holy shit. He stopped acting a few years after this. He didn't really have much of an acting yeah. career, which, but he was apparently like one take ki- kid, like to the point right. where Spielberg made him a T-shirt that said "One Take Carry," because he just nailed nice. it every time. Yeah, um, I read I read about some of the ways that Spielberg got pulled reactions out of him. Yeah, like holding toys behind the camera, right, and stuff. Yeah, uh, and but he was great. Like he was believable again as a kid. He didn't feel like a child acting like a child. He just felt like a child on screen reacting the yeah. way that he would to all this stuff. Like, he just thought the aliens were cool. Yeah. I did think it was and really it, weird how calm his mom was when he just ran off into the field at the beginning of the movie. She's up in the window and watching him run away and, yeah. like, doesn't react right away. I, I can't yeah, picture I, a mother I, doing that. <laughs> I mean, I guess this shocked or I don't know. I mean, it looked like they lived out in the country. Maybe he just runs a little bit. I don't mm, know. Maybe. Um, I just kept waiting for yeah. her to, like, dive out the window. I know. That's, yeah, I felt the same way. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they didn't make the mistake of making him all precocious and right. uh, talkative. Uh, he had very few lines um, and effectively delivered. And, yeah, he's, he's he did a good job. Proud of little guy. Absolutely. <laughs> Look, what we're trying to say, everybody, is it's a good movie. Go watch it. If you haven't watched it yet, why are you listening to us talk about it, first of all? Go see the movie. But um, it's good. It's it's a good, it a good film. And it's one that holds up 40 years later. It's still good. And it is, you know, the the, the uh, distinction between saying movie and film is is bogus. But uh, it is a film. Mm. It's, a mo- it's a movie buffs movie. Yeah, and it's a director's movie. It's an auteur kind of kind of thing, um, and it, it it reads that way when you watch it too. It feels like an it feels like there's an art house movie inside of like a huge blockbuster. Yeah, and that's that's Spielberg. I mean, you know, two years earlier he does Jaws, which is the 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 gold standard, the start of the blockbusters, and then he does this, which mm-hmm. is a blockbuster. But a smaller version of that, and then he goes on and he does like this is what he's able to do. You you put it perfectly at the beginning where he can be a populist director, and then yeah. do something that is just an auteur, and it's it's a a skill that 
a lot of directors have their their niche and they can do their thing and he can just do so much. I mean, the same guy yeah. that made Saving Private Ryan made a movie called The Terminal that takes place entirely inside of an airplane terminal or an airport terminal. And it's pretty good. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> like it's hard. Yeah. I'm you know, I've I've looked over his filmography a lot and he's got 58 directing credits. Right. And if you take out the couple of made for TV shorts and stuff at the beginning, um, it's still like 40 something movies and there's there's very few bad movies. There's stuff that aren't great. Like you know, I'm not a huge fan of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, although it has some watchable moments in it. I um, thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. As yeah. long as, you know, I, I I wasn't like, you know, oh, it's going to kill my childhood kind of thing. I I just went into it and kind of casually watched it. And I I enjoyed myself. Right. And uh, I mean, the BFG, I haven't seen, but I've heard middling re- results from. But then you look at like yeah. Lincoln or uh, Munich is one of his, I think, is underrated for him. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. Munich was phenomenal. Um, yep. I also wasn't the biggest fan of his take on War of the Worlds, but I think that's more Tom Cruise for me. Yes. Um, yep. Than anything. It's his middle tooth. So that the tooth whole, the, the, the whole Tom Cruise experience. There's a, there's a lot of baggage that comes with watching Tom Tom Cruise on the screen. There is. For me. I, I can do Mission Impossible um, for the most part, but there's other Tom I'm, Cruise stuff that just... I, I do think he has, yeah, he can be a brilliant actor. I mean, he can be a legitimately brilliant actor. Um, I mean, Magnolia, he's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it's astounding how good he is in that movie. But, um, yeah, in just when he's just in, t- in I'm Tom Cruise mode, uh, I, I have a hard time with it. It's the same way I feel about Will Smith. Like, I like Will Smith when he's yeah. acting. I'm not as big a fan of Will Smith when he's being Will Smith. Right, when he's winking at you. Yes, that was I what like, I... I don't like being winked at. Yeah, I did not like Wild Wild West for that very reason. It was too much Will Smith and not enough <laughs> yeah. like acting. Yeah. Like, I get it when you're doing you know, Bad Boys. That's, that's the uh-huh. character. Yep. You can get away with it a little bit there, but it, it didn't feel earned in something like Wild Wild West. And Tom Cruise does some of that, too. He's at his best when he's not being Tom Cruise. Like, uh, The Last right. Samurai was the first time I saw a movie with him, and I was like, he's not tom cruise he's he's playing this character yeah i am interested to see uh top gun maverick yeah maybe to revisit a character that that did something like that you know 30 something years later i'm interested i'm not i'm not like oh i can't wait to see it but i'm interested to see it i'm gonna see it Uh uh-huh but yeah um that's all i got (laughs) okay uh go ahead I, I just I, a side note because I just had this conversation. Um, I watched there's a show on Netflix that is kind of hosted and narrated by Will Smith. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name. It's like a nature show. Okay, and it's it's brilliant. It's really good. Um, but I, I wish I could think of the name. Um, but I he was on screen and I'm like, man, why? I feel like everybody hates him now, and I don't remember why. Um, <laughs> and and I don't I don't understand why. I'm not I sure. Have the I impression mean, that everybody hates Will Smith now because I think he's kind of a treasure. He really is as a like, human being. Have you seen <laughs> uh, the uh, the newest Bad Boys? Bad Boys for Life. 
I, I haven't seen it, no. So I went and saw that, and first of all, it was a hell of a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Like, I went to yeah. it thinking, eh, whatever, it's bad boys. I'll go shut my brain off for two hours and enjoy it, which is mostly what I did. But there were there were moments of genuine, like, heart in it yeah, and character. And that's, that's the, A, the chemistry of him and Martin Lawrence, but B, his charisma and his ability to be Jesus. super likable. He's such a, he's a charisma machine. And I mean, if you go catch the stray episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, it's like breathtaking. Every, every second that he's on, on camera, even in the dumbest of situations, he's just so, so charismatic. Yeah. No, he really is. Um, <laughs> it's like there's yeah. there's certain people that have that. He's got it. Dwayne Johnson has it, you know. Yeah, um, right. George Clooney has that kind of charisma where, say, if Batman and Robin, he can't do a whole lot wrong. Um, yeah. Mostly that's because he was being just 90s George Clooney as Batman. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but some people just have that charisma where they can take something like, uh, like Bad Boys for Life or... Um, you know, he's been doing a lot of voice stuff lately, too. I, I do want to see Spies mm-hmm. in Disguise. That looked like it was interesting. Yeah. You know, even something he does like Gemini Man, which didn't do very well, still looked interesting. Yeah. I like that one superhero movie he did. Mm. Hancock. Uh, Hancock. Yeah, yes. I thought it was pretty good. Well, that was... I thought it was good. That was It was good. a little rough, but it was, it was good. But that was kind of the point. Like, it was supposed to be... Um, almost a trope subversion of a superhero film. It was right. just yeah. 10 years early. Like, if that movie came out 2018... Yeah, no, yeah, I think you're right. Because that, like, that movie's like The Boys, like a, a tamer version of The Boys, in a way. Yeah. And it just, it was 10 years too early. It was 2008 when that came out. Right. That was, Somebody should do, do like, a, a, a list of, like, superhero... Plays on the superhero tropes that came out before superheroes were everything, everywhere. Yeah, you know? because that like, movie would be on that list. Mystery Men would be on that list. For sure. I think even like Blank Man. You remember that dumb oh, yeah. Damon Wayans movie? Oh, I, 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 I would like to go back and watch that movie. Um, because I kind of have a feeling it's better than it got credit for. I'm sure it is. I know Mystery Men is a lot better than it got credit for at the yeah. time. Like it became a kind of a cult classic for a reason. Um but yeah, that that would be an interesting list to do. We should uh talk about that more. Yeah. That'd be a fun list to come up with. Um excellent. Well, hey, this has been fun. It's been a ton yeah, of fun. I'm totally. glad that I got to show you a new movie and you enjoyed it. Um I did, that's yeah. always that always makes me feel good. Um we know another movie. We got another Spielberg movie. We can have you back for with Jaws because for sure, Jaws, man, you like this? Just wait. Right. I mean, I know I'll. I know I'll love it. Oh yeah. I don't think I'll love it this much because I don't care about sharks like I care about uh, aliens. But um, that's fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm. I'll be. Yeah. I want to watch it for sure. Oh uh, yes, Phelan in the chat brings up Blade uh, as a movie. Uh, now that is a Marvel movie, um, but that was definitely pre like superhero movie boom, and the first mm, yeah, Blade right, really right, right, right. like without the first Blade, I don't think you have an R rated Deadpool. Even though it was however many years later, like Blade kind of helped to to really open that door and show that an R rated movie based on a somewhat obscure comic book character could make money. Yeah. So yes, that's a good good call there, Phelan. 
Um, well, hey, Reed, uh, let people know where they can find you. So you do at least one podcast. No, two podcasts I know of. Well, uh, yeah, I was doing two. I shut one of them down oh, okay. at, for the time being anyway. Uh, the other one was Reed Messerschmitt Gets Metal, and I just don't have time for it right now because we have a three-week-old baby and right. a four-year-old boy. Oh, jeez. Um, so um, I don't have time to do anything. Uh, the, my podcast is The Irrationally Exuberant. Um, it's just scripted, absurd uh, comedy uh, about history and pop culture and some stories from my life and whatever catches my interest. It's it's weird. Um, it fits I you. Think it's good. Yes, it's it's <laughs> it's me. It's me exactly. If you, uh, it, yeah, I, and it's, you're it's all of me in there. And it's um, exuberant pod on Twitter, I think too. Yep, exuberant pod on Twitter. Uh, irrationally exuberant podcast on Instagram. Theirrationallyexuberant.com online. And I, I loved your take on uh, the latest Pearl Jam stuff. That was that was fun. Oh yeah, I heard it for um, the first time. It came on the radio. I hadn't heard it yet. And, yeah, like it came on the radio as I was pulling into my driveway, and I'm like, "What is this?" And then I start hearing Eddie Vedder's voice. I was like, "This is okay. Hold on, I got to listen to this." It's interesting, right? It really I, is. I, I don't know if it's good. I can't tell that yet. <laughs> I'm I, not sure. I, I I cannot be an objective. Pearl Jam fan because I was so obsessed when I was a teenager and it's so in my bones. Oh yeah. Well, um, you and I, I both are of that same age where like Pearl Jam hit I mean, at the perfect time. I mean, it's all I cared about. I Eddie Vedder was just <laughs> was a, a formative person in my life. Um but yeah, man, it's nice to hear them um just trying. Yeah. And trying mm-hmm. uh, they just sound alive and and interesting. Yeah, I, st- I yeah, I, like I said, I don't know if it's good. Um, his voice is is gotten weird. It has. He's always had that like real vibrato thing going on, but it definitely it it took me a second to realize it was him because the mu- yeah. musically it didn't sound like Pearl Jam to my right. ear just because it's different from their old stuff. But then he started singing, and it took me a second. I'm like, that's Eddie Vedder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know it's age or if he's blown his voice out a little bit at some point, but he does not. He cannot do the, um, the, the, the he, Eddie Vedder thing anymore mm. necessarily, yeah. uh, which is fine. He sounds, he still sounds good and he still sounds genuine. Um, but I'm very excited for this album. Yeah, I cannot. I'm so excited just based on those two songs. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, well, this has been fun. Thank you again, yep. Reed, for coming on. Exuberant Absolutely, Pod on anytime. Twitter. Um, we'll have you back on for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, so until next week, um, get out and enjoy your movies, and as I always like to say, be excellent to each other. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>